This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. We know that the need to draw in more customers by every company and in every sector is an important goal right now, and banking isn't any different, especially with the rise of fintech firms. In fact, new regulation in Europe just put into action in January now has banking institutions having to share customer data with potential third-party firms like fintech upon request. With a look at this move, we are joined here in studio by Knowledge Award and editor Steve Sharetta, who's following this story right now. Steve, great seeing you. Thanks for coming in. Great to have you with us. Uh, and on the phone with us, Marcos Zacharias, who's an associate professor of information systems and management at the Warwick Business School. And also joining us is Pinar Orskan, who's an associate professor of strategy at the Warwick Business School as well. Uh, Pinar, thank you for joining us. Uh, we'll get Marcos back on the line in just a second. Thank you, Pinar, for joining us today. Thank you, Stephen and uh, Dan. It's a pleasure, and I'm uh, really excited to share some of the insights that we've gained from our study with you. Pinar, hi. This is Steve, and uh, I know that you and your compatriot there have done some interesting research around this whole idea, and you've been looking at how two very big regulatory changes in Europe are going to revolutionize banking in many ways. And that's, that's a big word, revolutionize. It gets overused, but I think in this case it really does apply and we're going to look at what the implications are for their customers and the rising star of the show, financial technology, better known as fintech, of course. So these are potentially game-changing new rules. And the main idea is that fintech companies are disrupting financial services. They're lowering the cost for loans and other financial services. But at the same time, they don't have the long track record that banks have in developing customer trust, in being good custodians of customers private information of keeping that secure. And for now, I think it, it's still the case that customers have a lot more trust in the banks. But let's first start with the changes and talk about what exactly is happening. The formal titles are a bit off-putting, but one is the mm -hmm. Open Banking Initiative in the UK and the Payments Systems Directive, which will affect all of Europe, and it's sometimes called PSD2 or the Payments Directive. And uh, you note, I want to note in your research that you quote James McMorrow, head of payment strategy for global transaction banking at Lloyd's Banking Group. Here's what he had to say about these changes. This is a defining moment in the history of European banking, and the way financial institutions react today will inevitably impact their ability to compete, grow, and thrive in the future. And, of course, for our audience, this is important because these kinds of changes may yet come to the West. So could you pre briefly for us just describe what these changes do? Of course. Um, so as, as you've also mentioned, uh, these uh, two regulatory changes, the open banking being the specific one in the UK, and then the uh, payment service uh, services directive um, to PSD2 for short, um, in the European uh, context, these are regulations that actually force banks to open up their customer data, of course, upon customers' uh, consent, to third parties in order for those third parties to provide better services and better data analytics to the customers. So basically, if um, as a customer I decide that I want to uh, go with a, w a website or some app that I found um, that uh, promises me to buy, find a better mortgage, 
then upon my consent, that app is going to be able to uh, connect to my bank and, um, and get my data and analyze it in a meaningful way to see if they can give me a better deal than what my bank has been uh, giving me. So this is um, obviously uh, quite revolutionary if it works. But um, as um, my example also uh, suggests, it depends on whether the customers are going to adopt this new way of behaving and they're going to trust uh, these third parties with, uh, with their data. It's really an interesting change because, I mean, just imagine banks obviously don't want to give up their data. They don't want to open themselves to new competition. But this rule is saying, sorry, you have no choice. You have to do it if the consumer wants it. And so mm-hmm. I, I think uh, there's, there's going to be a, a, a lot of a feeling out process. But what are the, what are the potential benefits you described? some of them for customers, but there, and of course, maybe for fintech companies, it's a little bit obvious, but what about the banks? I mean, they aren't necessarily left to the role of being the loser in this, are they? No, in fact, um, one of the things that we know already from research is that uh, those companies that have the largest customer base, and in this particular setting, these will be the incumbent banks, those are in the best position to turn their business around uh, and make it a platform. So if banks were able to act fast and get um, these third parties, these fintechs on board to provide a platform where, you, you know, maybe in the in the spirit of um, let's say, uh, the application store that we see on different mobiles like Android versus uh, um, iOS, for example. Mm -hmm. If banks were able to get these fintechs on board and act quick to build a platform in order to offer better services to the customers, the customers wouldn't even have a need to go anywhere else. Everything would already happen on the bank's platform anyway. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, the banks have the greatest leverage to change and to act quick, to, to turn their business around, to make it rather than being in between their four walls and kind of concentrating on securing the data, which of course is quite important in this particular setting. If they are able to collaborate, they have a lot to gain from this, much more than a small bank that's coming into the business or a fintech that is going to, as you say, um, struggle to, to get the customers to themselves. So there's, it's interesting because there's a, there's a natural collaboration that, that seems to be there. On the one hand, the banks are established. They have all the customers. They have the trust of the customers. The fintech companies, on the other hand, have the groundbreaking ideas. And so whether the banks collaborate with them or I, I imagine in some cases they would be investing in the fintech companies or even buying them out. Marcos, maybe you could give us your perspective on this idea of the collaboration and and the there's a, a sort of natural balance between the two the banks and the fintechs yeah well um first of all i think uh, what's really interesting here and i think we mentioned it before about uh sharing the data i think there is the possibility for an entire shift on the architecture of the of the industry as a whole um and i think kind of the pnr nicely gave the example before of, of upon customers consent you know, to see customers would like to share the data with others um, what that does essentially is create an opportunity for the sector to move towards a more uh, modular 
architecture, as we say, or horizontal architecture. So we're used to banks as being kind of vertically integrated in a way, um, like manufacturing firms, um, some of them are now or used to be more uh, a couple of decades ago. Uh, and that meant that, um, you know, a bank necessarily um, basically does everything in itself. Right? So it provides the infrastructure, provides all the channels of communication, provides all the payments, processing, provides pretty much uh, most of the things we know, uh, you know, as customers and, and are in the supply chain at the bank. But opening up, you know, with, with sharing customer data in a standardized way, uh, that kind of leads to collaboration, which means, you know, by itself collaboration is useful, but means that we're moving to uh, to a new kind of format in the industry, which is more modular. Um, and, and, and these, you know, it's, it's kind of like a shift in mentality of how business is being done in the banking sector. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it does seem to me that this is Europe leading the way in in, uh, in creating new ideas for banking. And, and typically you might expect that to happen in the U.S. just because they're so strong on high tech and, you know, this this huge international banking uh, system here. But and and yet we have Europe that, that's leading the way. And I find that I find that very interesting. So everyone will be watching what happens to Europe. I think to get new ideas. Do you think that's correct? Um, I, I think that's fair to say. Yes, um, and it's not. You know, I'm trying to sell the UK a bit more, maybe, but I think the UK specifically, London being one of the financial centres, but also at the same time uh, a very important tech hub. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's kind of like one of the rare places in the world, which is also a financial center of significance and a tech hub at the same time, and the two worlds kind of meet together. Yeah, good point. Um, so I think, um, I think it naturally came where, um, you know, the time when after the financial crisis, a lot of tech entrepreneurs saw this an opportunity to move into the financial service sector because of the huge inefficiency. So financial crisis was a wake-up call. Uh, but this was uh, more effective, uh, you know, in, in, in the um, era of, of, of the UK and London because the, of the reason I explained you know, is, is, is the, the, um, where the two worlds meet of tech and, and financial mm-hmm. services. Whereas in, 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 um, in the US, you have the Silicon Valley, obviously, but then Wall Street is, is quite far apart. And I'm not sure how much these two worlds are communicating. Uh, well, at the moment, a lot more than it used to, but mm-hmm. I think it was, uh, th- there was a boundary between them. That's a really interesting point. Uh, let me ask, of course, with anything new, there's always going to be there's going to be challenges and opportunities here. What are some of the risks that you see for each group and some of the biggest challenges? Obviously, for consumers, the biggest issue is going to be security of their data. Um, and you know the more hands in the pot, the more chances there there are that something could spill out. But uh, could you just talk about what? Some of the, well, I guess we've talked about the upside in a way for for banks and and the fintech companies, but for consumers, what what are the risks? And and for the banks and fintech companies, what are the risks? Mm-hmm. So here um, we've we've talked about consumers, and I think you're you're right that the, the upside for consumers is uh, great. And, of course, the, the, the security issue is probably the biggest uh, hurdle um, in their minds, whether it's psychological or whether there's actually a heightened risk uh, is, is another question. But, um, but for banks, we see that this is actually quite challenging. And uh, a lot of those challenges come from some of those organizational and cultural uh, thing, the cultural dimensions of their work, and in particular, as we know, banks have been largely monopolistic players in their industry for a long time, and this is a highly regulated industry where 
the data is very sensitive and there's a, a high legal liability for um, for handling it and uh, when something goes wrong. And so basically this is a situation where banks have been focusing on um, making sure that everything is as secure as possible and uh, you know the, their compliance departments are huge and uh, this has been their focus and then suddenly there's a regulation that tells them okay you look you you know you have to collaborate now but uh, first of all this is a player that uh, doesn't know how to collaborate because uh, you know security has been the main issue so far so for example when a bank tries to collaborate with a fintech one of the natural questions that comes about is uh, how are we going to brand this? Because the fintech obviously would like to get some visibility, but the bank is used to owning the customer. And in a sense, every single service that they take to the customer is yes. the bank's branded service. And so this issue of branding is a huge challenge for them. Another interesting one in terms of innovation is um, when a fintech brings a service that um, actually exists within the bank, but the fintech, because of they're more agile and because they have better technology, when the fintech is able to provide a better service than what exists in-house in the bank, um, what is the right uh, strategy for the bank? Do they adopt what they see outside and kill their or some of their own products? And what is the right balance? I think this, our interviews show that these are some of the issues that the banks really struggle with. Could you just give an example of that? What would be a service that a bank currently offers that would likely to be done better by a fintech and, and where this, this, this clash you're talking about might happen? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I guess uh, one, one, one of the best examples, uh, you know, I think it's lending. Uh-huh. Um, and, and there are quite a few platforms out there in the, uh, in the fintech world where they're doing that a bit more efficiently than banks mm-hmm. are doing it at the moment. Um, and they have uh, their statistics show that default ratios are, are tomorrow's lower than traditionally the banks have been lending out of people. And, you know, there, there are names that are already, um, um, you know, becoming quite popular. I don't you know, really want to make any... Um, um, uh, name any brands, but uh, lending, I think, is, is kind of like an easy example, and, and another one might be payments as well. Yeah, I know we've done we've done some interviews with uh, with uh, people here in the U.S. where they, they point out that with a traditional bank, let's talk about a small business loan from a traditional bank. It might take you know you have to give them all of your records, all of your accounting records, and it could take three weeks to get a decision, and the decision might be no, where there are some other companies out there now that will make a decision in literally five minutes. And so it's a, yeah. it's quite a big yeah. difference. So I guess those are the yeah. kinds of things you're talking about. Yeah, in fact, speed versus security is one of the main issues that uh, is, is difficult when a bank tries to collaborate with a fintech. And also look at it from the fintech side. These are small companies that are struggling for cash, and the longer the bank tank, uh, takes in order to you know, make sure that everything um, is tested and uh, all of the boxes are checked, the more the fintech is running out of money in the process. So this issue of uh, how fast the bank can go through the due diligence and bring a fintech uh, on their platform, collaborate with them, is a huge struggle for the fintechs. Yeah. 
You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Dan Loney and Steve Shredda in our studios here in uh, Philadelphia. And uh, joining us on the phone, Marco Zacharidis, who is uh, with uh, Warwick Business School, as is Pinar Ozcan. They join us uh, both on the phone. The way for you to join in with your comments or questions, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you can't get your phone, you can send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney, L-O-N-E-Y 21. Let's turn to this big issue that, that we've broached a little bit, and that is the security issue. Obviously, as you mentioned, banks have these huge compliance departments. They spend a lot of money, um, and really they've done a fairly good job, I think, over the years. Now come the fintech companies. Who knows how well some of them are capitalized? Who knows how well their security systems are? Um, can you talk about the problems and how they might be solved or how they might sort of block progress? Yeah, so security um, you know, is, is a major concern. I'm not sure, though, how much we cannot blame banks for, for um, um, you know, kind of based on the track record, because I think there are a lot of issues that have been emerging lately as uh, banks being the victims of, uh, um, you know, uh, cybersecurity bridges. Good point, um, so, and, and I guess the point is that a lot of them, maybe we don't really get to find out because the banks have uh, quite a big deep pocket and they can absorb um, damage in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, in, in the same way, I, I think the fintech um, it would be much more challenged in the same scenario where obviously they don't have the balance sheet um, that the bank has to, to absorb these kind of bridges. So we have seen a couple of challenges the banks in the UK, for example, having issues around security. Uh, Tesco Bank was one of them. Uh, they dealt with it because they, they were backed by Tesco, one of the largest retailers in the UK, and they, again, had deep pockets. But we cannot really say the same with smaller fintechs that, you know, um, if they have issues with the security and, and a lot of customer data has been installed or, or, or kind of uh, payments have been wrongly um, initiated, etc. They'll be able to deal with that. And I guess um, this, the solution really comes to the, the change in mentality, the business model of the collaboration between the fintechs and the banks. I think that's what's going to make the difference. But and in, in some ways, the banks would be backstopping the fintechs with their deep pockets. That's a that's a touchy issue, I would imagine. Yeah. So uh, that's a good question. So I think. Um, in, in, a, in a collaborative mode, let's say, between a fintech and a bank, I think all these kind of security issues need, needs to be dealt with uh, up front, obviously. Um, and it's kind of like co-creating a value proposition for customers that is, you know, obviously different with a nice user experience and everything, uh, but it's also secure. And I think if, if, if banks are becoming more and more platforms, considering these new shifts with the openness in the market and, and uh, you know, transitioning from, from a vertically integrated market to more modular market, if they become platforms, then as platform leaders, they need to make sure that they work with fintechs that um, are, are, are well established. They have uh, the latest technologies, but they also have the, the latest standards for, for security uh, and interfacing with older systems that the banks have. Um, and that's part of, of um, you know, the business of curating a platform. So you need to choose carefully how, um, how do you actually end up and, and collaborate with a particular fintech. Having said that, in Europe, um, the process of curation is is 50% with the regulator because this is now regulated in, in Europe. Um, 
but the other 50% I think goes to the bank. Um, in other markets that uh, open APIs in banking or open data in banking hasn't been regulated, I think it's easier uh, and, and you can strategize a bit more around it, but it's easier to curate as a bank your own platform with, with fintechs uh, on top of it. So, Interesting. Uh, now, I know that you've done as part of this research, extensive interviews with professionals. I think you spoke with 40 key people from industry, banking professionals, innovation executives, fintech startups, and the so-called challenger banks, consultants, and investors. Could Is there a way to give us, uh, in a nutshell, what, what some of those, what, what some of the feedback is that you got from those folks? So um, we have been looking at this issue for over a year and a half, and this is an ongoing project. As you also said, the regulation just changed in January, which means that this is the time to also observe some of the interesting uh, strategic moves that the different players are making. But as part of our research, we've talked to now over 50 uh, individuals who are key stakeholders in uh, incumbent banks, and uh, fintechs, as well as uh, challenger banks, these new online banks that are trying to provide competition to the incumbent banks, and um, and also some regulators and industry experts. And um, our research basically shows that there are different types of um, business models that are emerging. Uh, for sure, the incumbent banks are working on providing their own platforms, as Marcus also said. At the same time, because they, there are all these issues that are organizational as well as, as, well as technology and regulation related, um, the platforms provided by the incumbent banks have been rather slow. And so this creates, a, in a sense, a, an opportunity for new players to come in and take some of that space that is not being filled by uh, incumbent banks. And so for that, we see these new challenger banks coming um, into the space. Uh, offering these uh, platforms, basically, where you have, a, as a consumer, once you go to the uh, to the app or website of this challenger bank, it's very easy for you to just uh, move on to a fintech and then get advice from them for a specific issue. There are even models where, um, you know, the platform that you connect to as a consumer is even connected to your utility company. So they can analyze your data and say, look, you know, you're spending too much, and if you move here or there, it's going to be easier. Mm -hmm. So these platforms are getting richer and richer. But at the same time, of course, it's difficult because these new players, since this is such a sensitive industry and, uh, you know, security is very important, how many people are going to use these challenger banks and these new models is an issue. And as you've also said at the beginning, as more millennials are using banking services, this is becoming less of an issue. Mm -hmm. However, it's still true that uh, most people are not going to switch away from banks. And so what this means is that it's going to depend a lot on what the banks are able to do in terms of collaborating. Uh, we have a couple minutes left. I think that it might be a good time to wrap this up by asking uh, you, you make a recommendation, I think, at the end of the paper, which basically says that banks that want to succeed shouldn't take a short-term view. In other words, they shouldn't be looking at, at uh, you know, getting short-term profits, but they need to take a long-term view and build an ecosystem of technology that can that can lay the groundwork for future profits. Is that right? Could you elaborate on that? Yeah, I think that goes, um, uh, you know, to what we said before about the shift in the entire industry and the shift that the banks need to make in terms of how how do they think that the profits are, are getting into the bank from. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, I think it appears to tune up in banking, but in the UK, it's not just about ticking the boxes for the regulator. Mm-hmm. I think it should be seen more as a strategic move where banks would need to reconsider um, the revenues from the different, um, uh, you know, places that they're earning money from, you know, from overdraft, for example, or from lending activity or from oh. payments, etc. Yeah. to... Uh, capitalizing, you know, some economic benefits from actually building platforms. And one of them we have seen examining the paper a bit more closely is network effects. Mm-hmm. The fact that uh, if you have lots more fintechs on your platform, you'd be much more um, attractive to customers, right? So in the same fashion as um, iPhone, for example, is a platform, you know, you have all these developers developing applications on top of the phone, and that's what made iPhone the first place attractive to people. Mm-hmm. So that shift shift to mentality and how business is earned and how you profit from this business. Mm-hmm. I think that's the new logic that the banks really need to pay attention to. Um, and as Pinar said, we have seen these understanding of the new logic kind of vary amongst players. So I think older players that they have legacy technologies, but also legacy thinking tend to push PC2 and open banking back, whereas newer firms Chanda banks and fintech themselves are very excited because they see this as a huge opportunity uh, to really provide new technologies and new uh, quality services to customers. Um, so um, in the interviews we did, a lot of the banks thought, okay, so let's use the new regulation to charge fintechs money so they can actually tap onto customer data in one way or another. We think that this is kind of like maybe perhaps the wrong way to go. If you want to create a platform and become a platform leader, you kind of need to think of ways to incentivize fintechs coming to you to create that kind of richness. As we use the word ecosystem quite often, I think that's what implies kind of a lot of uh, outside developers, a lot of players out your own um, you know, kind of organizational boundaries that bring these extra value to your clients the same way as I mentioned iPhone. We mentioned that in quite a few lectures and talks because it's, I guess, one of the beautiful examples we have. We, you can see that, you know, the more apps you attract as a phone manufacturing, the better off because people want to kind of buy your own phone, your mm-hmm. own kind of uh, ecosystem and, and value proposition, et cetera. So the banks will need to think along these lines, not uh, have these kind of short-term uh, thinking about let's charge the fintech, let's earn as much money we can, you know, in this kind of like short term, but thinking in the longer longer term as as competing on platforms, competing on 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 new value propositions that external developers can bring to your own ecosystem. That's a, that's and yeah, like and the point one of the make. issues here is, of course, when we talk to banks. Um, a lot of times these regulations, PSD2 and open banking, are being handled by compliance departments and in a sense that limits it to what is the legal minimum that we need to do. And so we think that this is a rather a, a strategy issue and it has to be at the core of the um, strategic thinking for a bank for the future. Just real quickly, could you give uh, uh, an idea of whether these ideas will be moving to the U.S. anytime soon? Eventually, one would think, or are they going to sit back and say, okay, Europe's doing a great experiment. Let's watch and see how it falls out. Yeah, I think I think there are thoughts around that. I think, um, so UK, Europe are the pioneers in sense, and I think UK is doing a great job because also there's a huge amount of fintech concentration investment. Um, I think there are, um, there are thoughts in other places around the world, including Australia and Asia. I think it's almost unavoidable that this movement will come to the U.S. And maybe it's an opportunity for the U.S. markets to kind of learn more of the new strategies and also learn from maybe the mistakes of other 
countries and see how they can um, leverage new technologies, kind of adopt the latest uh, standards around security, perhaps, and even kind of think over a bit more the strategic implications, as we've been doing in the paper, um, you know, about how, how we can shift to this kind of new mentality uh, of, of ecosystems and modular architecture in the industry of financial services. Great having you both with us today. Thank you very much for your time. It's it's very interesting, and we look forward to seeing how this plays out in the in the weeks and months to come. Thank you, Marcos. Thank you, Pinar. All the best to you both. It's a pleasure. You too. Thank you very much. Thank you, Marcos Zakaritis and uh, Pinar Ozkan from uh, the Warwick Business School, joining us from overseas. Uh, this is very interesting, and you bring up a great point, Steve. That I think it is going to be very interesting to see if potentially this would play out in the U.S. somewhere down the road. I think it's a. I think it would be quite a challenge because of what we have as a banking system now and obviously the concerns that we have in this country to begin with. It's already playing out. Fintechs are already trying to collaborate with banks on some level. I think the difference there is that the government's actually saying you bank have to share yeah. the consumer information if they ask you to. Yeah. And so that's that's what's different here. There's this this is like a sledgehammer that yep. kind of opens up the coconut yeah. f- over there and and it, it it's a game changer in that sense. Here uh, it will be a, a little bit more of a dance, I suppose. Great seeing you again. Thanks for coming over. Oh, my Greatly appreciate it. Uh, Steve Sharetta from uh, the Knowledge at Wharton staff joining us here in our studio. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.